Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free, free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. Welcome everyone to Warrior Goddess Revolution podcast. We are going to have a yummy conversation today. Today, my guest is Lara Rosenberg, and she is part of our Warrior Goddess leadership team. She's one of our Warrior Goddess mentors. And I realized on the podcast, I really wanted to interview each of our different Warrior Goddess mentors because each of them bring such a different flavor and energy around what it means to be a warrior goddess. And this is one of the things that I want to really bring into this podcast more is that this isn't about there's one way to do this. There is multiple ways to be a warrior goddess. And so Lara is a yoga instructor, a I mean, there's, we could go on and on with the list of all the wonderful things she is, and I'll have her share uh, all of those. But one of the things that everyone I know that meets Lara comments on is her calm, her presence, and her just deep well of love that you can really feel overflowing. So welcome, Lara. I'm so glad to have you. you here. Thank you for such a warm welcome. Mm, You're so welcome. All right. So let's do the, who are you? How do you get where you are now? Journey. (laughs) Well, this is a a bit a long journey. Um, I think at a young age, I started to just really question things. And I have a memory from my childhood of coming home from Sunday school one day and my mom was like, what did you learn today? And I was like, that they're telling us a bunch of stories and I'm going to start my own religion. And I remember my mom was like, no lunch for you. You're going to your room. <laughs> and I clearly remember that moment. And um, many years later, I think there, there, I had a lot of struggles in my life and I went to therapy at, starting at a very early age and just noticed that or I think one of the big experiences I had is that not everyone's going to like you. And how do you navigate that in the world? Because in any situation you're going to go to, there's going to be people that you really gel with and there's people that you don't. And having that place to stay steady. So I started a journey um, and got in a lot of trouble along the way in my youth and experimented and explored with a a lot of different things and left home when I was 17 years old to go to college. Um, And I went out of state because I wanted to be far away from my parents and I wanted to, you know, be away from everything that I knew in the past and um, explored and experimented with a lot of things that caused chaos and ended up, um, back in this journey of self-reflection. And so I had gone to uh, a treatment facility when I was 20 years old. Um, and, you know, I remember being like, okay, there's, there's more to life than what I've experienced and what else is there. And so I started really on this self-seeking journey and um, looking at different things and how am I going to improve my life? So I came back home and I moved home with my parents and I 
you know, continue to do therapy and meeting with different groups and actually, and I went back to college and I started to learn about all these different religions because um, I went to a Jesuit school. And so um, in that exploration and, and my background is Jewish and that's how I'd grown up. And so being a Jewish person in a Jesuit institution was an amazing experience because I got to study all the different religions. And I was like, oh my God, goodness, there's all of these stories that were, were they're being told with different characters, but they're the same story and being interpreted in different ways. So I just started to get more and more curious um, and went to go work in behavioral health and addiction rehab and got to explore this even further. But I think there was still always something missing for me. And until I found the Toltec work, which was after spending two and a half years living in Southeast Asia, did I really feel like, okay, wait a second, there is another message here. And it felt more practical to me um, after studying all these different things. And so being exposed to the Toltec work um, in the early 2000s, it kind of began my journey. And then I stepped away from it completely um, and just was doing different work. And then and in 2018, and I had followed what you were doing. And I remember when you were coming out with Warrior Goddess Training and getting the first two chapters. And I was like, this is really good. And I actually think I signed up for a couple of your sessions and didn't show up at the time. And then in 2018, there was just this strong calling to attend a workshop that you were having here in Arizona and experienced a firewalk. And after that moment, my there was a, I always say like a pivot point where my life shifted. And I was like, I need more of this. Just, it really began my journey with, through the warrior goddess teachings and the warrior goddess training. So in 2019, after losing a loved one, uh, I, there happened to be an exhibit of Teotihuacan at the Phoenix Art Museum. And I had, had gone to that and I said, it's calling me back. And the next day, there was an email from you in my inbox, having uh, advertising the, the trip that you do to Teo in, uh, uh, I think it was in June or July of that year. And I told my husband, and he was like, go. It's calling you back. Sign up and go. And I signed up at that moment. And then... I was, and then I was like, I don't know what I signed up for, but my goal was to finish your book because I think I had read bits and pieces of it and never read the entire thing before I went. And I didn't finish it until I got there. So, um, you know, I think part of what for me, you know, the warrior goddess teachings have brought me is this other place of reflection and acceptance that I hadn't gotten in the other places. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. I love this. And I remember that the workshop and I don't know if I talked to you then or if it was in Mexico later that you had you know, done Toltec work with another teacher and gone deep with that and then stepped out and that there was a, a kind of homecoming that it felt like when you found Warrior Goddess and just the way that the teachings have gotten woven together. Um, and for those of you that may be listening for the first time to Warrior Goddess Revolution or have not read the book, which you don't have to have, that the work that we do in our community is a combination of European shamanic 
cycles and seasons and returning to the goddess, returning to the earth, returning to nature, really rerouting ourselves in relationship to the wild. And a combo, a connection of the Toltec wisdom, which is based out of South and Southern Mexico. And that Toltec wisdom through the lineage of Don Miguel Ruiz, who's the author of The Four Agreements, was really blessed to study and apprentice with Don Miguel for many, many years. And he trained many of us as teachers, probably about 40 of us as teachers over the time that we worked with him. And that Toltec wisdom for me is really the warrior. It's about the connection to our intent and our courage and going forward no matter what and learning how to navigate challenges and, and recognizing the challenges are inside of us. They're, they look like they're outside, but really how do we undo the old beliefs and agreements and get free on the inside so that regardless of what's happening outside of us, we have the stamina, capacity, sustainability, courage to keep facing it. Uh, and one of the things I really love about the Toltec work that I think is really different than a lot of the religions, because I also, as a young woman, studied a lot of different religions. And Toltec's really closest to Buddhism when I look at it, because it's an awareness practice. But the piece around energy of really looking at what am I doing with my energy and taking responsibility for me was one of the big shifts. And I love that you just shared that part about the energy because I think this is kind of where the warrior goddess has just filled my soul is you're putting more awareness, words and definition to what I have felt and didn't understand. Um, because I remember walking into places and energetically feeling things and not understanding it and having meltdowns and having experiences and not understanding why it was happening. And, you know, my body getting really confused um, and even getting, you, you know, I get, I suffer from migraine headaches and I do believe that some of it is a chemical thing in my body, a physical thing that I deal with. But I also know that there's an energetic component to it. And um, being able to, I think, have a different relationship with it at, from an energy standpoint and kind of noticing that has been really key into my life. And, and understanding that there is, we are just this energy and what are we putting out? What are we giving in? You know, you know, what are we taking in? And how it shows up differently than maybe where we are actually are in the world. You know, we might be here in this present moment, but we'll have an experience there. There's an energy that's kind of coming into us that feels very childlike. Um, or, you know, that might, you know, from a trauma, those of us who have had trauma, it might be a trauma response that we've experienced and having a different relationship. And then I love the tools of the regrounding that you offer through the so many of the warrior goddess teachings and you know where do we reroute and that has been hugely instrumental in in my life and the work that I share with others as well. So let's talk about that. So what did what had you rooted into before that you've been able to recalibrate, we can say, because one of the things we talk about is that so often we root into things that are more temporary, that give us a sense of safety and connection. And that what we're really learning how to do is to pull our energy back and to be clearly rooting into 
our own essence, the deep courage, our sense of peace, and to be really, like you said, like looking at what am I doing with my energy and taking responsibility for it. So what what shifted for you? Oh, I think one of the big things is that being tied to a job and a place and, you know, and working in that identity had been huge. I had um, worked with an organization for almost 20 years, you know, over different periods of time, but had a strong identity and what was going to happen if I left that. And um, I, I know I've shared this with you before, but I had a I knew I really wanted to leave and I actually wrote an email and put it in my outbox. And then when I went to go send it, I wasn't ready and had to really listen to that, that not ready piece. And I remember um, I had come to New Mexico and uh, was there with you and um, doing some group stuff and I asked you and I was, and you said, you'll, you'll wake up one day and you'll know when it's ready. And, you know, some more time had passed and I did a meditation in the warrior goddess training circle, you know, and the next day I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I'm ready to send it. You know, there has been in this, you know, the identity and then also rooting into the identity of who my parents think I need to be and what I should be doing, who my friends or people that I've worked with and the identity of that others had placed on me. And I was like, this isn't who I am. And I think also understanding as there continues to be growth and deepening within myself, that there are times that people still view me in another way. And, you know, I have to just accept that and hopefully show them other ways, but I don't need to prove it. And um, that has been a huge lesson um, through this work is that just show up and be present. And, you know, you you mentioned this earlier, for me, it's really important to be present with myself. So I often will put down my phone, I'll even turn it on, do not disturb when I'm with people. So I can be fully present with them and not distracted by all of the dings and the blings that happen on the phone and, you know, throughout life to understand it and realize, you know what, the the phone call, the email, it'll get returned when it gets returned. And if it doesn't happen today or tomorrow, even two weeks, it's okay. Yeah. Beautiful. And there's that, that shift that happens towards instead of being so outwardly focused of who do I want people to see me as, who do I defend, you know, how do I defend this identity that, that shedding that's so freeing of, right. It'll happen when it happens and that you can just be yourself. And not force. Yes. Not force it to happen. Not force it to happen. Oh my gosh. Okay. I want to go back to Lara as a little girl. I love this image and I wanted to just loop back to it of coming home and saying, all the stories are made up. I want to make up my own religion. That is the best, (laughs) right? Can you imagine if if your parents had had the capacity, which of course they didn't, but the capacity to go, well, let's sit down and talk about this. Like, what would your religion be like? What would you make up? What's your story? Whoa. Right. Oh my gosh. When I was in, I don't know, probably sixth grade, maybe fifth grade, I decided, I was like, you know what? I don't 
I want to change my last name back to the original name that because I learned that my my last name, my birth last name was Godet. And I had learned at some point that I'm French and it's actually Godet and it's G-A-U-D-E-T-T-E instead of G-A-U-D-E-T and that it had gotten anglicized when my people came over from France. And so one day I just was like, I'm going to change my name back to the real name. I got in so much trouble for like, they were like, you cannot do this. And I was like, why not? And it was that same thing of like, it's just a name. Why can't I change it? And it was so confusing, but I love that kids just know they're like, well, this is malleable. We can change this. Right. Why not? Yeah. And that's the domestication piece. Yeah. I love talking to little kids and just being like, and what are you seeing right now? And just get, you know, getting down with them and having that conversation. Yes. Instead of immediately, no, you cannot think that way. You can't do that. Why do you want to do that? What would it be like? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's that beautiful creative invitation. And I think it's threatening when we, You know, so often I think we try to control kids because we need them to follow the rules in order for there not to be complete chaos. There's a difference between rules that are created out of fear or trying to control. And I think of rules or agreements that are created to create create a container. And, And learning how to really for ourselves ascertain is this a rule I've created for myself because of fear or because I've taken on because of fear or is this actually a container that really helps me I think that the warrior goddess work has helped me realize where I put up those places of the container and cause blockages. I, I keep laughing at myself because every time I've ever said I'm never gonna this is never gonna happen for me or I'm never gonna get it it shows up. So I have learned very mindfully not to say never very often because it does seem to open up and present itself in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's so true. And also, yeah, to to refrain from saying, I'm never going to do this or this is never going to happen. Right. Because I think the universe has such a great sense of humor. Like, uh-huh. How about well, this? And the, you know, and how those boundaries we put up, you know, create this container of safety and it works for a while. And then how does it, it stopped working? And, you know, how can we create that new foundation and reemerge, you know, a little bit differently? Yeah. Yeah. And re- rebirth ourselves over and over again. I think that's one of the beautiful things of the Toltec wisdom is that kind of embedded in the Toltec is this idea that, the ancient ones used to rebuild the government and the cities every 52 years. Everything would get torn down and they would start over from scratch. That's amazing. It's amazing. And if we think about in our lifetime, the truth is that in all of our lifetimes, I think we have these moments where our life gets completely raised, like it goes down to rubble. Right. And and then we rise from that. Then we recreate ourselves. And 
there's places that we fight that. I mean, I know I fought big transitions, very, like, I put everything into it, but guess what? It still changes. And that learning over time that that's just part of the cycle of being human is that things are going to fall away. And how do we gracefully learn how to release more quickly? Yes. (laughs) And get curious about what's going to be rebirthed out of this. And I think the ability to have some choice into where, what do we want to bring back in? So we don't fill back up with the same stuff over and over and over again. Um, and, and honoring that, that piece of, okay. And, and honoring the piece of the cycle too, that we're in, there's always this place where there's a releasing and there's a coming in and there's a part that needs more stillness and rest. Um, and, and, you know, that going within, and then there's also, where are we feeding? What do we want to tend to as well to, to help grow, um, and how all of those things work together. And with the, you know, the cycles of the moon and even the cycle of the day and the lightness and darkness of the day that's happening as well as the, the seasons and the transitions in the spring, summer, fall and winter and how relevant that is in finding our balance and finding that that place of you know to continue to understand and 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 accepting when we are in that place of despair or you know crumbling everything that there is something in there that's going right you know i i go back to the simple one did i brush my teeth today yay that's right i can celebrate that Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And in your teaching work, so with your yoga studio and in your community and that physical in-place teaching, what has transformed for you in your relationship as a leader? Oh, I think one of the biggest things is being able to hold and contain the space and the energy that we're wanting to get across also understanding and really using the discernment. And I, this has come a lot from the warrior goddess teachings for me is when you're getting feedback in the past, I would take it so personally and felt attacked. And there's times where you know, I still feel it, but also having this awareness and discernment that people also will have things going on and it's not all about me. And looking at that and learning to understand what fits and what do I need to shift and change? And then what can I bring forward? And to do this in a place of growth to help people continue to grow in their process as well. Um, I I know I've had avoided conflict a lot in the past and now I can embrace conflict and have my boundaries. And even though I'm setting a boundary, others might not like it. And being able to still hold hold that space. And also, I think for me is meeting people where they're at, knowing when I need to slow down and go back to the basics for myself um, or pause when there are people struggling and they're spinning out in front of me or they're, you know, they're having a moment in front of me. Can I just sit back and get quiet instead of trying to fix it? And this is all very different than if you would have 
met me, you know, seven, eight years ago, it was a totally different story. I was constantly trying to fix it and I was overworking and I was burning myself out and, you know, had the the candle lit at every single end it could possibly be lit at. And then I'd crash and I wouldn't be able to move on the weekends. And so, you know, having that place of, okay, where do I need to be able to hold and contain my energy? And how can I do that in a more effective way? Beautiful. Mm, mm. Yeah, the not fixing. Something we yes. talk about in the community a lot of the, <laughs> yeah. can we be with the discomfort of not fixing and letting things be? And like you said, like pausing and really listening so often the fixing is coming from, I'm uncomfortable, I need this to change, go away. And it doesn't allow us to be with our own discomfort because change involves discomfort. And if we're constantly yes. popping out of our own discomfort, it doesn't, then that transformative process inside of us can't happen. And teaching yoga for so many years, you know, and also honoring how the, the yoga has changed for me so much. It's still a lot of movement because I think that's a great way to help access people to get into their bodies, but really focusing on the practices of breathing and meditation and how relevant, the, you know, those are. And then, you know, the practices of turning the senses inward and recognizing when we do have these moments of connection, even though they may be really small, that they're continuing to grow and helping people recognize that in themselves, um, especially when we tend to go into that, what I like to call the blame, shame, and complain game. And we go into this, you know, or the disaster mind or this doom and gloom place. And Again, you know, kind of how we mentioned this earlier is that thinking about what's right here and, and those little places and helping individuals realize that too. Because a lot of the work, the yoga that I'm teaching are people who have experience with therapy and trauma or some big life change, whether it be physical, um, mental, emotional, you know, moving, and how do you, and grief. You know, there's a lot of people who've lost people. Um, especially over the past couple of years. And, you know, I think it also has to do with my age and, you know, the aging process of who's around, but, you know, helping hold people, have that space for people and letting people grieve as long as they need to grieve for, you know, there's no time frame on it. You know, I, I know society might put a time frame on it, you know, you should be over this in a week. And it's like, not necessarily, it's painful. And, and also being able to keep that connection, which I love the work of the ancestors that you teach because honoring, still honoring that connection, even if we don't know the people, but knowing that there are people holding this space for us to help heal and grow and being able to share that with people in a place of discernment for where they're at and what their capacity is able to take in. Yeah, so important, so important. The spaciousness around grief for others, for within ourselves, that capacity to stay steady. And I could really feel the presence that you have of grieve as long as you need to. I've, I'm here. Like that there's a, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to 
again, there's sometimes that place of like, okay, somebody's grieving. I must be there all the time for them. And really people that are grieving, they just need to show up for a moment and see them. And that goes such a long way because it's rare that people have the capacity to, to show up even for a moment and say, I'm here. I see you. I don't need you to change this grief. I can hold yeah. it with you. Mm. One of the things I also wanted to talk about, there's, there's a couple of other things I wanted to play with, but one, I'm going to grab this book. Okay, you guys can't yeah. see this, but I'm grabbing it anyway. So Lara, a while ago, said, I need your address. And then one day this book came in the mail and I was like, where did this book come from? <laughs> I'm holding it up. And it's uh, called Aranyaka. Did I say it right? I always... Spanishized. I think it's Aranyaka. Aranyaka. I always Spanishize every all yeah. Sanskrit. So it's Aranyaka. Aranyaka. It is such a gorgeous book. So I couldn't remember who had sent it to me. And I'm reading it. I'm like, where is this book from? This book is changing my life. Uh, and we've had some great just conversations about it. But I'd love you to yeah. share. This feels so you. And so yeah. I'd love you to share just anything about your life in relationship to the message of this book. Oh, <laughs> a little simple question. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I love how it's been a while since I read it. So, um, but I, I love how she is this wild woman and meets this man uh, of who was in this deep contemplation and um, teaching and they fall in love and, you know, the, the passions there and the magic is there. And they, after time, they decide to come together and she's providing for all of the students that come and teach with him. Then she realizes that their relationship has this disconnection and this loss. And so she went back out into the woods to go connect with that aspect of herself again and that the wildness. And then there's, and then he, because he finally realized that he's learning from her and what can he go learn from the woods again and, and the messages and how that, that shifts and changes. And so, you know, in my life, I had tried a few relationships and I realized that it, there was these times where I'd be wild and I've always, I have this deep passion of travel. And so I've gone on long adventures and will take significant time off to do that. And I'd made a goal to myself when I was 25 to go to a new country or a new part of a country every year for the rest of my life. And knock on what I've been able to do that, which is, is kind of an amazing you know, thing to, you know, you, that's a dream that you put out there and that's a long-term dream. But I think being able to go back and then come back in and teach. And then there has been some times where I've come back from being overseas and not well received and people don't want to hear it and have to realize that life is still going on around me. And then people are going to have attractions to other things and what I've gone through. And again, being okay with this and starting to navigate that. And also with this understanding that you know, there had, I had been living somebody else's dream and the dream of my parents or what society and my family thought I should be doing. And then going out and being wild and traveling and exploring the world and 
getting dirty with nature and, you know, from building houses in India <laughs> to, you know, uh, oh, so many different things, that, you know, that have gone on in my life and, and then coming back. And I think, you know, this has been a very interesting time over the past couple of years, because there's been way more rooting than I've ever had. You know, the, the home that I've lived in now is we've lived here almost 10 years. It's the longest place I think I've lived in the the past 35 years. And so, you know, it, it's a very interesting, different time and, and having the, the roots here. And there is still always this wild side is what else is out there? Maybe we move somewhere and, you know, and still keeping that wonderment alive and the travel piece alive. And, you know, it, I, and being able to come together to share, because I think there's so many gifts and wisdom that each one of us has to share with the world and allowing the voice or the action for some people, you know, it's more of an interpretive dance or a song or I have a, a niece that I just recently spent time with and I haven't seen her in very many years and she's so shy. And then towards the end of our dinner together, she tells me that she does all this acting. And I was like, what? I couldn't believe this little shy being likes to act and does all these plays. So knowing that it, the gift in whoever is going to show up differently and just allowing that gift to arise effortlessly and you know, again, not trying to control anybody and seeing how it shows up and that creative piece. And again, the warrior goddess work has got me back in touch with that creative piece. You know, it's a piece that I think I kind of let go of the, the drawing and the painting and coloring and however that looks and how it fulfills me and how it's also helped me in my life in leadership is being more creative when I'm presenting or being organizing it a little bit more, a little bit differently and playing more games um, with myself as I'm doing things. So really breaking, breaking up any place where it starts becoming habitual. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think something about the, this particular myth that's in this book is like you said, like balancing the, kind of civilized, rooted, in the world, leadership, teaching parts of ourselves, you know, guiding others in whatever way with the wild, jump the fence, run parts of ourselves. <laughs> well, how that brings creativity, you know, and I've noticed when things are too structured for me, I don't like it. I, I want the free time. I want to go play. I want to go sit outside and, you know, watch ants walk by and have the wonder. Yes. And, you know, and I think the the book also to me so much is that we do also have this male and female energy inside of us. And what are we feeding? And when are we feeding it? And knowing that they're both okay. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That it's not one or. It's and. And. And we switch <laughs> throughout life. Yes. Such a dance. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading uh, Stephen Levine, um, who did the Tibetan Book of the Dead and his meditation practices. And, um, you know, towards the end of his life, 
he wasn't able to sit in meditation as he had in the past and being okay with sitting in a chair or doing the meditation laying down. And, you know, for me, so much of that is like, we just, again, meet ourselves where we're at in that moment. And what do we need today in this moment? Not what we needed yesterday or thinking like, oh, this is what I need in order to be happy. That incredible fluidity of being in relationship with where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So important. So another aspect of our work in the warrior goddess world is something that you and I both been part of, which is the, what we call the Wawa group. So I just want to yes. touch on this because it's been, it's so impactful. So there's a small group of us, uh, white women that have a group that we meet every two weeks or once a month, depending on the time frame. And it's the White Aware Women's Alliance Abolitionist. We have all these big names. We, we played a lot with it. And one of the things I love about the Wawa group is that we're actively looking at racism, stepping into anti-racist thinking, explorations. One of the, th the things that we've been doing in our group is exploring every month a different characteristic of white supremacy, which is so woven. You know, when we talk about the dream of the planet, the dream of the planet is the way most humans are dreaming. And we're really based in a patriarchal, white supremacist, able-bodied, male-dominated system. And this isn't to say you know, these people are bad, these people are good. It's just for all of us to understand that that patriarchal power over hierarchical model that is based in a lot of trauma and a lot of uh, taking uh, harms all of us and has effects. And so just curious about that long preamble of <laughs> just what has your experience been as a white woman and a white leader, somebody who's in uh, a leadership role in your community? How has that been in your being, being part of the Wawa group and, and just starting to unpack that inside of yourself? It's been really powerful. And, you know, and looking at how relevant the ways of racism are in our world and just kind of embedded into our into our culture and our society and it you know looking at how you know for instance the sense of urgency was a, a big topic for me and I, I couldn't believe how it was when it went into this patriarchal society and having to do these things so quickly and accomplish things. And I think as a woman in the business world, and, you know, I, I feel like I kind of came into to the, the business world after a generation of women had the freedom to have more choices. So I, I'm in my late forties, you know, going to be turning 50 in the next couple of years. So looking at how the women's lib movement opened up so many things for us and understanding how there was still this male domination in the business world and in society and culture. And I remember I was in my early twenties and I was working in the natural food business and we were a small kind of homegrown 
natural boot food company. And there was a, corp- a, a larger corporation that brought us that invested into us and they brought some different salespeople in. And, you know, I was a salesperson at the beginning and then I became a, what I like to call a booth babe at the trade shows and samples. And I remember not like being, not liked being treated that way and, and said something and stood up for myself. And so, you know, I know that caused some disruption at that point in time. And I think now with the Wawa work and really starting to kind of unpack some of the stuff from the past that I've had experienced myself as well as experienced from others' viewpoint has been interesting. So I happened to be out with some friends the other night for dinner. And one of the things, and I was actually sharing that about the Wawa group um, with them. And I said, it's really interesting for me to always be in a group setting and to, and to look at you know, what's represented in this, in this environment right now, you know, I'd been to some courses or some lectures that was at my husband's workplace and looking at how there was a lot of privilege in the room and a lot of things being said, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. And instead of saying, okay, well, maybe we should go and talk to the community and saying, what do they need? I remember learning that when I was doing humanitarian aid work, and did some training with the UN. And that was one of the things that the UN often told us to do is that don't go into a community because white people have been going into these communities forever. And they're like, this is what you should do. And it doesn't work for the people. And so how can you go into a situation and being like, okay, what do you need? And knowing that there is some sort of agenda to help get across, but letting that idea form come from the group of people that we're trying to help and not this force over. And so, you know, it's just been really interesting. And especially I think now interacting because I'm blessed to have friends of all different races and backgrounds and cultures and as well as people that I get to work with individually um, or in group classes. And it's very important for me to make sure everyone's included. I don't care what color your skin is, you know, what kind of shoes you have on, what, you know, what your pants are. It doesn't matter to me, you know, I and I understand that we all have these differences, but I want everyone to feel welcome and to be able to again show up with with their beauty and with their gift of, of what they do offer. And then also looking at the situations where I do have white privilege, you know, you know, walking in this the skin and this hair color, you know, they're being realizing that you're going to be looked at differently in some situations and how to navigate that. And, you know, I try to do my best, again, to try to make everyone included as best as I'm able and to engage everybody in the conversation. Yeah, so it's so vital for us to understand that we have blind spots, that we have places where we've been really taught incorrectly, you know, especially as white people in the United States, that the history that we're taught of how America came to be is through one lens and it's through the, the victors, as we can say, I put that in quotes because I don't think anybody wins uh, when you hurt others to get there. And so the, it's been so rich to have the capacity in our group to step back and really see what have we missed because and and what are we still learning 
and, and a couple of years ago, uh, I happened to be traveling in Brazil and it was in Sao Paulo and it was a rainy day and we were in a park and we just kind of ran towards the first building that we saw and it happened to be uh, a museum of the slave trade. And it was one of the most impactful museums I've ever been in. And having this whole different awareness of of what has gone on. And I don't, I feel like everyone needs to go to that museum um, at some point in time just to see it. I've never seen a portrayal that large before. And you know how that's impacted. And it's really all of the Americas. And how each of the countries in the Americas have, have navigated it differently. And, you know, and how... I think it's really interesting in this time and space of how we're watching this unfold in, in the United States right now. And, you know, and, and what do we need to do to rebalance it and realizing this is a, this is an issue that's been going on for so long, so much longer before we were all born. And I think it's to continue to bring this awareness and insight and, you know, to have conversations that are difficult. And, and looking at, you know, where do we still need to navigate? And where do we have, and again, where do we have those blind spots too? Because those are huge. And not taking it, because I, I, I think, and not beating ourselves up for it either. Yes, that place of taking responsibility for learning what we don't know as white people. Yes. And not using it against ourselves. Because mm -hmm. I see so often that when people start learning about the genocide of the indigenous people in the Americas, the slave trade, that there can be a moment of, uh, for white people of self-judgment, guilt, uh, a lot of upset. And, you know, I think we have to work, th work through things, but what I've, what I'm, mm, I'm trying to think of how to word this because I think sometimes get people get confused in the teachings because so much of the work of the teachings is forget your history, let go yeah. of your past. And so sometimes people are like, well, then why are you bringing up racism? It's in the past. And I'm like, yes. And we have to learn the truth of what happens. So we can actually heal. If you keep covering over the truth of the past and putting a story on it that it's like, this is what actually happened. There's this incredible important process of the healing of naming what actually happened so that we can metabolize it and then make different choices going forward to realize it's still alive. It hasn't just because there isn't, you know, direct slave trade right now doesn't mean that that whole system is not still in place. It is. It's just it's gotten very more, much more so. subtle. Yeah. More and more subtle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really empowering for us to know our history, both personally. And I think that's part of the healing process is that if there's places in my own history that I'm not willing to look at, and then I'm spiritually bypassing of like, oh, well, that's the past. I'm just moving into the future. Then there's something that's still holding me back because I haven't allowed myself to look and metabolize and integrate it. And how to sometimes shows up bigger. 
Yes. Again. Always. <laughs> don't look at it. <laughs> Always. And, and, it's a big, and being able to laugh, I, I, you know, the history, it shows up and, you know, we learn from the history and we, we don't want to forget, but how do we continue to grow? Yes. Yes. I just read this great article in the Atlantic from uh, Clint Smith, who's a black man who writes amazing, beautiful, beautiful writer. And he went to Germany and did research around the Holocaust oh, wow! and how the Holocaust is remembered. And he went to the mm -hmm. Holocaust Museum and then realized that there are these memorials in front of where Jewish families were taken from their homes. Mm -hmm. And there's these plaques in the streets and on the sidewalks of the name and the date of when they were taken and when they died. And he was talking about how like it's literally under people's feet that they see, they remember so that they don't forget yeah. and, and how, like how we could do it differently in America, in, in the United States and the Americas. I don't know, it was really powerful. And I remember you and I had a conversation too about, about being Jewish and how sometimes we had a situation where, um, and I think this happens often, unfortunately, in different communities where there's this kind of one-upmanship of like my suffering, the suffering of my people is worse than the suffering of your people. Right. And in this case, the situation that we're talking about is yeah. a Jewish person being like, you know, you people were just slaves. My people got killed. It's like, uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I think all cultures and people have a, a suffering and, and some have more than others. And I, I think, you know, again, I, it's unfortunately the suffering and the trauma is based on how people are behaving and showing up in the world too. And recognizing, I, I remember, I'm going to totally derail this for a second, but I remember having a lot of road rage a number of years ago and blaming everybody else. And, and then having this insight, I was like, oh, they might really be struggling with something right now. And can I have that shift in that perspective to understand that? And so in the form of how this could be used in racism and, and, and in the world is realizing that we all have this deep suffering. And there are groups and tribes of people that have been suffering for a long, long time and have been withheld resources or, you know, have had deprivation. We have to realize that their suffering, you know, it, it, I feel like it gets into our DNA and it's in our bones. And until we're ready to embrace it and and have a choice of how we're going to show up. Um, and again, we have to learn that because it doesn't, it's not, I, I was talking with somebody earlier in the community and I was like, I wish we could wave a magic wand and everything would be better. And it, it you know, it doesn't work that way. And uh, meeting those challenging moments and understanding is that there, all people have suffering and we, it's no one's is better or worse than anyone else. And again, holding that we've all had suffering. And that place, you know, coming back in a circle to yeah. part of where we started is that place that if we can be with our own suffering and not try to change other people's suffering, it allows us to show up where they are and where we are 
And that's when our hearts can meet. That's when our hearts can witness the long story, the history, the, the many woven threads of trauma and not like jump in there, like, let me fix this. Let me pretend this doesn't exist. That there's a place where we then together, the feeling sense I have in my body of doing this work in all of, of this, of, of healing, of recovery, of racism, of finding our power again, of letting go of control is this place of grace where we're able to gather to look at the suffering and just breathe. It is. And if I can, I know we're ending shortly and I'd like to share a poem with you. And this is a book by Donna Ashworth and it's called, I wish I knew. And she's a Scottish author, a poet. And I, from what I understand is that she was also told she wasn't able to write a book because she didn't go to the right schooling. And she's published a few books anyway. And so I always, I love to, whether that story is true or not, I, I don't a hundred percent know that, but her poetry is phenomenal. And this is called The Manual of Life, which I think is so perfect for what we've been talking about. If life came with a manual, I read it every day, a step-by-step instruction on how to find your way. I'd focus on the small print. I'd read between the lines. I'd never miss a section. I'd seal it in my mind. I'd print it out and stick it on all the walls around my room. A pathway to perfection, a map out of the gloom. A guide to fitting us in a survival master class to reach the perfect level of dignity and class. A ticket to acceptance, the confidence to soar. A guide to hitting milestones, a key to every door. If life came with a manual, I'd read it every day. I wonder if I'd have to work so hard to find my way. And I just, I, you know, unfortunately life doesn't come with a manual, but there's lots of great tools and techniques and ways to do it. So yeah, mm. thank you for letting me share. I love that. Thank you so much, Lara. And yeah, may we all continue to love ourselves and each other fiercely, make good mistakes and find the tools because it's true the manual might not exist but we have each other we have our willingness and we have a lot of tools that the ones that came before us left us and inspired us to also be creative to feel into what's needed now how do we play and create our our own pathways let's create our own religions in our heart and may those religions be based in nature and love. Yes. Which really all religions are. If you dig yeah. down. Yeah. Thanks so much, sweetheart. Thank you. Bless. Awesome.
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.